Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined again by Brady Homer. Brady is a PhD candidate in applied physiology and kinesiology at the University of Florida and a writer and researcher for examine.com. In this episode, Brady explains how exercise, specifically aerobic or endurance exercise, is a powerful anti-aging strategy. He details the cardiovascular adaptations to endurance exercise and how endurance training attenuates cardiovascular aging and enhances brain health. This was another phenomenal episode with Brady that I know you're going to love. But before we get started, if you're tired of waiting for all the garbage science on the internet and you're looking for cutting edge research and tools you can implement today to improve your mind, body and recovery, then sign up for my free weekly newsletter adaptation. You can sign up now by clicking the link in the show notes or by going to www.ericorum.com. But now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Brady, how does exercise affect cardiovascular aging? Yeah, there there are lots of mechanisms kind of that could explain that. And I just think, you know, maybe stepping back a bit, exercise is probably one of the best and I hate to use this word, but I'm going to use it, anti-aging kind of uh, interventions that we have. Um, if we really think about what anti-aging means, kind of preventing aging, maybe we could really classify it as that. But I think that's kind of a word that gets misused a lot. But so for cardiovascular aging, um, the effects of exercise are pretty profound. So I think, first of all, to this, before we discuss the exercise, I'll just maybe list a few of the things that happen to the cardiovascular system as we age and then how exercise prevents those from happening and in some cases can actually even reverse a lot of those changes that occur. So I love it. Go for it. Yeah. So some of the normal kind of, and I want to use normal in quotes because, you know, maybe going off on a tangent here, but I think of a lot of what we think about as normal aging processes are not necessarily maybe normal because we don't study people who are active throughout their life. So what we consider say normal brain aging or normal cardiovascular aging is a lot of the times in people who are sedentary maybe throughout their entire lives, which is a majority of people. And so are these really normal or are these kind of an effect of sedentary lifestyle? So that's just kind of an interesting thing that I always like to think about. I have Um, never thought about that, but we're studying. It's kind of like in training an athlete. If every, if every program is the same you're training towards the mean when we're i guess when we're looking at people and we're studying them we're training we're studying the mean but we're not studying what about people that actually engage in exercise for a long period of time what what happens that i've never really thought about that's a that's a great observation what most people consider normal from just a an exercise and a diet perspective isn't really kind of normal in like an evolutionary sense where like, you know, we're meant to be active and kind of consume like a whole food diet, but most people aren't doing these things. So what happens to the normal average person throughout life um, likely doesn't happen to the person who stays active throughout their entire life. So I'll definitely discuss kind of some of those effects as we talk about like the, the cardiovascular benefits of exercise. So anyway, I'll go back to that and sort of, you know, the normal cardiovascular effects that occur with aging Um, You generally get a a stiffening of some of the arteries in the body. So um, arteries, some of the major arteries like the aorta, 
Also, some of the peripheral arteries, major arteries in your arms and legs, they get stiffer. And generally what that does is just decrease their ability to vasodilate. So that's one of the reasons why blood pressure increases with age. Um, arteries are becoming stiffer and they lose their vasodilation uh, capacity. Something else that happens, um, the heart just generally declines in function. Um, you know, in the presence of disease and risk factors, this could be even worse. You can get some calcification of the heart and the aorta, some of the arteries around the heart. Um, calcification, fibrosis, um, and generally just a worsening of cardiac function. And then kind of the final classic thing that occurs is just a decline in, I kind of already mentioned this, but endothelial function uh, declines with age. So again, your, your blood vessels just become worse at vasodilating. And that's due to several mechanisms, you know, loss of nitric oxide, some oxidative stress and, and things like that. So all of that occurs with aging and is responsible for, you know, hypertension and, and cardiovascular disease, um, which is probably, I think, the leading cause of death, like across the world, um, like the non-communicable disease wise uh, is cardiovascular disease. So if cancer doesn't get you, cardiovascular disease probably will if you if you live long enough. Um, so what exercise does is, you know, there's kind of two ways in which we can think about this. One, it can prevent a lot of those changes from happening. So there are studies in lifelong athletes, maybe we'll call them master's athletes, you know, people basically who either took up physical activity early on in life or who maybe picked it up later, say 30, 40, or 50. But, you know, they get studied in their 50s and 60s and maybe even 70s. And when you compare these people to healthy, younger individuals in their 20s and 30s, they typically have a lot of the same uh, biomarkers related to cardiovascular health. So their arterial stiffness is like similar. Their blood vessel function is similar. Their cardiac function is similar. So that would basically suggest that if you're active throughout life, it somewhat prevents all of these adverse cardiovascular effects from occurring. So it um, delays or even prevents cardiovascular aging, which is wow. you know, pretty pr profound. Um, and then, you know, if you're inactive or, you know, you're later in life and maybe some of these effects have already started to kind of occur. So your arteries have become a little stiff, your cardiac function has declined exercise training. And most of this is on aerobic exercise. So I will kind of caveat that not a lot of resistance training studies for cardiovascular function have been um, conducted, but so aerobic exercise, you know, you're uh, running, biking, swimming, and things like that. Aerobic exercise training. So, you know, two, three months, six months, even more can reverse a lot of those effects. So, hmm. um, you know, I've read throughout my kind of PhD, just probably even hundreds of studies on this, but most populations, you take them, even healthy, older adults, um, and you exercise, train them. All of these things kind of go back to normal and can almost uh, equal that of healthy, younger adults. So reversing, in a sense, some of these. Now, when you say aerobic exercise, are you talking about steady state zone two exercise? Are you talking about people that are doing mixed modal high intensity interval work with steady state? Is there a specific type? of aerobic exercise? Uh, the benefits have been shown with everything pretty much. So you can do moderate intensity continuous training. So that would be like your steady state cardio um, mm -hmm. for 30 to 45 or 60 minutes at a time. That could be your high intensity interval training. So a popular protocol there and one that we've used in, in the lab that I um, am a part of as my PhD is like a four by four protocol. So you do- Oh gosh. Four, 
four minutes hard, four minutes easy, four minutes hard, four minutes easy, something how, like that. How intense? Like what percentage of your max it's heart even, rate? Yeah, so 80, like uh, 80 to 90% of maximal heart rate. And people can do that. And I'm always impressed because I like that'd be hard for me to do. So some of our participants are uh, pretty resilient <laughs> in terms of that that protocol because that's that's not a lot of fun. But um, there are also shorter protocols. So this kind of more time efficient, high intensity interval training is a popular thing that actually can also improve cardiovascular uh, function and health with age. So you can do something shorter, like a even like a 15 second all out sprint and repeat that kind of multiple times. It all sucks. You know, it doesn't really matter if you do a longer or short interval, you're just going harder if you're going uh, shorter, but you don't really need to do that much. So, you know, as much as 15 minutes, maybe two to three times a week seems to show uh, some benefits, which is pretty incredible. So is there a, like you said, 15 minutes, two to three times a week, if you're doing the moderate intensity exercise, is there a, a duration that you should hit a week, 120 minutes? Yeah, so the, yeah, the recommendations are around 150 minutes per week. And I right. think that is pretty standard. Um, a lot of the data, though, coming out, I think would support that you can do more than that and achieve further benefits. So it's really difficult to, you know, when you discuss like the studies that have been done, because typically you're not going for the maximum that you can get these people to do. It's kind of what like is the minimum effective dose. So I would say a minimum if you're just doing moderate intensity cardio. 150 minutes a week. So, so we're talking government standards, 150 to 300. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yep. Yeah. I, I saw the same paper too. That was like when people exceeded two to four times the recommendations that a reduction in all cause mortality, was it somewhere in the range of 20 to 30%? Yeah. Depending so. if it was the vigorous or the moderate intensity. Yeah. They actually showed, yeah. So it was, you know, more exercise kind of better and then even more, you know, a higher intensity seemed to be better. So mm. pretty interesting. Um, and again, I think that that goes to show, you know, there's some data out there that would say if you do too much exercise, it could be harmful for like cardiovascular health. Um, obviously I have like a bias here being an endurance athlete, but I don't, I don't buy into a ton of that. And I think as we learn more about, uh, you know, how much exercise you can do and still be healthy it, that upper limit might seem to be a little higher than uh, we previously. Yeah. Thought. We're talking people that are training for ultras and right. even them, it, it, even then it's, it's a small fraction that may have arrhythmias and there's probably a whole bunch of other cofactors that they're that going into that. Our bodies are pretty, pretty resilient and adaptable. You have to be pushing it to an extreme level and then maybe having some underlying issue to end up with that. So I don't think most people need to worry about that. No, I don't think so. The, yeah, the, uh, the, I don't think we need to, most people don't need to be worried about doing too much. It's doing too little. That's kind of the, the problem. So <laughs> yeah, you want to dip into the brain. I know you would, yeah. you would had some thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. So I, you know, I think obviously I am very interested in the cardiovascular benefits of exercise, but man, the, the benefits of exercise for like brain aging and they continue to like keep coming out. I think as we have like these more advanced techniques to study the brain, but the effects of, I think exercise against cognitive decline, mild cognitive impairment, dementia, and Alzheimer's disease are probably some of like the most impressive that um, we have for exercise against like any disease. So there was actually just this uh, study published very recently. It was in nature scientific I just saw this reports I think so they did and again this isn't my area I'm not a kind of a you know a biomedical scientist and this was a highly kind of data centric like study but essentially what they did was do kind of this scan of genes that are associated with 
Alzheimer's disease progression and Alzheimer's disease kind of prevalence. And then they looked at interventions that sort of targeted those genes that are responsible for Alzheimer's disease. So interventions like exercise, I think they, you know, had like curcumin in there. And then also, you know, a lot of like pharmaceutical drugs as well. So they kind of had supplements, you know, over-the-counter supplements, exercise, they had pharmaceutical drugs, and over and above kind of any of the other interventions that they found, exercise was like key for not necessarily, you know, they didn't look at whether it was good at preventing it, but targeting the major gene or the major genetic players in Alzheimer's disease, exercise was like above and beyond any of the interventions that they had studied. So I think I have the key to like word they used was therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Right. I literally yeah. just saw this yesterday. This <laughs> is crazy. I, it's we're spending millions of dollars on pharmaceutical drugs. Mm-hmm. And if you exercise, sleep, eat a healthy diet. There are some supplements that may be helpful, like, you know, high quality EPA, DHA, fish oil, creatine, but most of it is get your butt moving and sleep. <laughs> you yeah, know, absolutely. The exercise and the sleep, because, you know, as we continue to learn more about like that lymphatic system in the brain, that yeah. kind of is responsible for clearing out things like during the night, clearing out, um, like beta amyloid and some of the tau proteins and whatnot, um, during sleep. I mean, those two things. And I think, you know, uh, Peter Atia is somebody who kind of rallies against this all the time. He's just like, people are so caught up in these, uh, you know, supplements or like these drugs to target Alzheimer's disease. And it's like exercise and sleep. If you're not doing those two things, like nothing else, you shouldn't even be focusing on anything else right now. And you're kind of right that like the billions that have been spent on developing drugs and things like that for Alzheimer's disease. And this isn't, you know, this isn't a diatribe against pharmaceuticals because they're, they have a time and a place. And if you already have Alzheimer's disease, you probably, you know, maybe need a drug to, to target that. But in terms of, you know, like you said, the therapeutic or preventative measures that you can take, I mean, there's nothing better than, than exercise. Um, Even depression. Depression, right. The brain I- benefits are incredible. And I think a lot of it has to do with like this tie-in between brain metabolism and then and like brain health. So in a lot of, and honestly, most conditions, mental health conditions. So whether it's cognitive decline or Alzheimer's, even depression, a kind of a common theme among those is impaired brain metabolism. So decreased ability of the brain to utilize glucose, which is actually like the only, the only fuel source other than ketones that the brain can actually use. So the brain can't necessarily, uh, burn fat, I guess you would say it uses glucose and it uses ketones that can cross the blood brain barrier. Um, so in kind of why the ketogenic diet is beneficial for, um, people with epilepsy because it kind of reduces their incidence of seizures, but exercise I think is a major player in that. So just like exercise improves our body's glucose metabolism and our body's metabolic ability it improves it in the brain as well, kind of these systemic effects of exercise. So I think that's one of the the reasons why it's so good at attenuating Alzheimer's disease, because if you have impaired glucose metabolism, um, it's going to affect your brain function. So if you can improve that through something like exercise, um, it's going to have, it's going to have major benefits. This is amazing. I mean, I, I, I think it's so cool that science continues to demonstrate over and over again, that if you just do the simple things well <laughs> over time, yeah, it, it can prolong your life. The, uh, the quality of your life is going to be better. And you're going to spend less money on, on 
things that you don't want to have to spend your money on. You can go spend it out on your family or going to eat some great food like you show on Twitter all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> In addition to my science communication efforts, it's sharing barbecue and other good food. <laughs> it's definitely worth a look. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, would you please leave us a comment and review in the Apple Podcast app, as this is one of the best ways that you can help support the show. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.